As Pastor Josh was saying, we've been been here for a couple months, but we're not new to uh, this church. In fact, uh, some of you may know this, my wife, her her grandfather, uh, Brother Diltz, started Crown of Life Chapel that eventually has turned into Christ Point Church years ago. She grew up going to this church when it was at 23rd Nanny Baxter. And for about a year there, uh, her and I were the youth pastors, what was Crown of Life Chapel at that point. My daughter Chloe was born while we were youth pastors there. So we have a lot of connections and a, a lot of deep ties to this church, not just in the past couple months, but, but literally for years and years uh, that we've been a part and, and been sowing into this ministry in one way or another. And it is exciting to see what God has done here at this church and what God is doing through your leaders and through through Pastor Josh and the vision that he has for this church is just amazing. And to see it to be transformed from from the times that, that we were involved in my wife growing up, she tells the story of whenever there were were youth kids that came to church like she wanted so bad to go find them and talk to them and invite them so it wouldn't just be her and her sister in youth group anymore <laughs> they'd have some other kids so it's grown a lot since then and it's it's really exciting um as josh said my dad is a minister has been in the ministry for years and years i was one of those kids that grew up in church every service if if they were having service if the doors were open sunday morning sunday night wednesday night Tuesday night prayer meeting, you know, Thursday night ladies meeting. I still had to be there for some reason. I was at church all the time growing up. My dad, um, for years, was the national youth ministry director for the Pentecostal Church of God. And so he was always invited to go speak at camps, at summer camps, youth camps. And so we, it was awesome. We got to travel with, with him all over the country. Um, every year, you know, there was at least one or two. And so every year... I got saved like three times over the summer because I'd get saved at each of the camps my dad spoke, and then I'd get saved at the camp that I went to with our church and all that sort of stuff. And it was just these, you know, these awesome experiences. Anybody else have that experience growing up like that? You know, it was just one of those things, and it was always Thursday night, it seemed like, at camp. That was the Holy Ghost night when you went to camp. The first couple nights were filling everybody out. Thursday night was like, bam, it's the Holy Ghost. And you, you felt it, and you got all saved, and ooh, all the goosebumps, and it felt good. And Friday night was awesome because that was the victory service. And, and, and then you went home, and you just thought about how much, oh, man, I just wish I could stay there. I just wish that I could, I could be at camp all the time. It was so awesome, and I loved it. As we got older and I got out of high school, I went to a Messenger College. And I remember going to Messenger and, and going to freshman orientation and, and sitting there talking and, and seeing all of these students come in from all across the country. And, and it, being growing up around Messenger College, my dad teaching there for all the years that he's taught there, so many times what these students come and are expecting is just a year-long camp. And they think, man, we're going to go to Messenger, and it's going to be awesome, and it's this Christian college, and we're just it's just going to be like camp all year long. And they forget that, no, there's schoolwork, you know, there's things you have to do. And they desire just that experience that they have. As youth pastors, my wife and I, through all the years in, in youth ministry, we would have students come to us, and they would just get on fire at camp, and they would they love that experience, and they'd be like, man, I just want that all the time. Why can't I have that all the time, and I just, I want it, and it's not just 
youth, it's not just students, it's not just college age. I know adults that, that through my years as I've known them, that they just travel and they just jump from place to place trying to find, trying to hold on to that mountaintop experience. And they just, they want it so bad and it's such a good feeling and they just want to be there and they just want to feel that, that experience and the, and the goosebumps and all of the good feelings and those things are all great. But that's not where we're meant to live. Matthew chapter 17 tells the story of the transfiguration of Jesus. I'm going to read to you just these first six verses in Matthew chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, if you want to want to get there. I don't know if he'll, he'll be able to get them up on the uh, screen there. How many have an actual Bible with them? Just out of curiosity. All right, I love it. <laughs> if you don't, open up your phones. It's okay, but only if you're in the Bible app. You can't open your phones and be doing anything else. Only if you're in the Bible app. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. It says, six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. This is a hilarious story to me, and maybe you guys don't see the humor in it like I do, but I, I, I think it's just hilarious because Jesus, he takes his three closest friends, Peter, James, and John. These, these are the guys that every time Jesus is pulling somebody away from the rest of the disciples, it's always these three, and they're always going and experiencing these cool things with Jesus that none of the other disciples get to experience. They always get to go and see these awesome things, and so Jesus says, hey, you three, come with me. I want to I take you somewhere, and they go up where? On a mountaintop on a high mountain, to be alone for a while. And while they're there, this miraculous thing happens. And, and Moses and Elijah somehow show up, and they're talking with Jesus. And I love Peter, man. He is just my favorite. Because Peter doesn't know when to shut up. Like, right? Peter never knows when to keep his mouth closed. He's just always like, oh, i got to say something. There's an awkward silence. I have to fill it with something. And so Peter just says, Hey, God, this is awesome. We can build these tents, these tabernacles, these altars for you guys, and we can be here. And before he even finishes what he says, God, like, cuts him off. He's like, nope, Peter, that's not what this is about. Peter, see, he wanted to build these tabernacles. He wanted to build these altars. He wanted to build these places where they could come and they could stay where they were and just live on this mountaintop. He wanted to stay in that place and in that, in that season and in that experience. Peter just wanted to stay up high on the mountaintop. But that wasn't what God wanted for him. That wasn't what God wanted for the disciples. That wasn't what Jesus wanted his disciples to do is just stay up on a mountaintop somewhere. God says, this is my son. Be quiet and listen to what he tells you to do. We want so bad to have these mountaintop experiences. 
We want so bad to be able to experience that, that feeling that we get, whether it's a great service on a Sunday night or, or a camp or a Bible study or something that we just love, and we just want so bad to live in that place, but that's not what God has for us. It's not just that instance. If you look in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6, Jesus has resurrected. He spent 40 days here on earth speaking and traveling and and living with his disciples and preparing them for what was going to come next. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, it says, So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? See, the apostles still didn't get it. They still thought that Jesus was here to overthrow the Roman government. They still thought that Jesus was here to return them to the former glory of of David and Solomon and the kingdom of Israel and bring them back. They still didn't get it. And Jesus replies, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. It's on another mountain. And the disciples, the apostles, the the probably 120 people who were in the upper room are probably all there, and they see Jesus go off into heaven, and they're like, wow, that's amazing. And they're just standing there staring. What's next, God? Like, just waiting for something else to happen, and they're just standing there, staring, and it's like they've completely forgot everything that Jesus just told them to do. And they're just standing there, staring. And two angels have to show up and be like, uh, hello? Anybody home? Why are you guys just standing here? Why are you just standing here, staring up into heaven? Didn't you hear what Jesus just said to you? You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. But they were just standing there, staring. The mountaintop experience was never meant to be the purpose of our Christian journey. The mountaintop experience was never meant to be the thing that we strive for as Christians. That mountaintop experience is there to encourage us, to empower us, to allow us to go and do what we are supposed to do, what our purpose is here on earth. And what is that purpose? Jesus just told them to go and be his witnesses. To go and tell people about me everywhere throughout Jerusalem, through Judea, and in Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. But so often we come and we have a great service at church and those things are awesome and it's the Holy Spirit and He, and he does those things and we think, man, this is what I want so bad. 
I just want this. I just, I just want to just be here and in the presence of God and, and feel and worship and be here with all of my Christian friends and it'll all be this great feel-good moment and we want that, but that's not why we're here. If that was the point, then God would just take us to heaven because that's what we're going to do in heaven. We're going to be able to stand around with all of our Christian friends from centuries past and present, and we're going to be able to praise and worship Jesus. But while we're here, we have a mission. While we're here, we have a purpose. And this is not our purpose. Coming together on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights is not our purpose. It's not. In Matthew chapter 28, I know I'm reading a couple, a bunch of verses, but I want you guys to see this. Matthew chapter 28, you guys have all heard this. Verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's our mission. That's what we're called to do. These, these moments when God shows up so mightily and we feel His presence and it's so strong, they're great moments, but they're not meant to be where we live. They're not meant to be where we stay as Christians. We're not called as Christians to gather. You guys understand that? We're not called to just gather and, and just all come together and, and just have a good kumbaya service. We're called as Christians to go. See, the purpose of the church is not to gather. The purpose of the church is to go. And, and we get it all confused in, in, in this Western culture of, of Christianity that we've somehow created. It, it's like it's completely backwards from what God intended it to be. Because all we want to do is we all want to come and gather and we all want to feel good, but that's not where we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go into all the world. Even the language that we use is messed up. Now my dad... Has, has taught Greek for years at Messenger College. And if you went to Messenger College, you, you had to take his Greek class. I, I was enrolled at Messenger. I don't know that I, you could even say I went to Messenger because I, I flunked a lot of classes because I didn't show up. But I was enrolled. They got my money for a good portion of it. I didn't take my dad's Greek class. I didn't make it that far. But it's always nice to have a Greek scholar in the family because when you come to stuff like this, you can say, hey, hey, Dad, what does this mean? The word that we see in the Bible for church is ecclesia. Am I saying that right, Dr. Josh? <laughs> ecclesia. And it, it means literally a group of people called together to accomplish a specific purpose. Before Jesus came and kind of stole that term for, for us, that term was used in a variety of different, different ways, but one of the ways it was used was a military term that it, that it spoke of special forces. Now think about that for a minute. We're not called to just come and worship. We're called together for a specific purpose to fulfill a specific mission 
that God has given us to fulfill a mission, and, and we miss out on that so much because we come to church. And so the word ecclesia, like that's where we get the word ecclesiastical. Like we have that word in our English language, but that's not what we call this. We call this church, right? And that's always bothered me. I'm like, where did that come from? That's not the same, like if you're into like the etymology of words and stuff like that and where it came from and you trace that back, there's no overlap there between church and ecclesia at all. The word church comes from an old English word that is just cirque. It's where we get the word circle. It's where the word circus comes from. Stop and think about that for a minute. What do you do at a circus? Come, and you all sit around, and you watch a few entertainers, and there's a ringmaster, and there's people who, who, there's music, and there's dancing, and there's entertainment, and there's all of this cool stuff, and you go to the circus, and you have a good time, and you have lots of fun, and you leave feeling good, and man, we went to the circus. It was great. Unfortunately, in the American church, that's all it is. We have people who claim to be Christians who go to church every Sunday and they might as well just be going to a circus because all they're doing is they're going and they're getting their ticket and they're paying their tithe so they feel good about it and they're sitting like this and they're watching the entertainment. And they're, they're like, man, this is good stuff. Like that ringmaster, he's, he's good at talking. I really enjoy him. Those acrobats are great. That, that worship team is great. I really love it. And, and we leave and we feel good about ourselves because we just went to the circus. And we're never a part of the true ecclesia of God. Because we've never accepted the mission of God and that mission is to go. Instead, we've, we've got it backwards. Uh, uh, the mission is to go. So what does that make us? It should make each and every one of us missionaries. Every single Christian is a missionary. But instead, in, in our culture, we've gotten it completely backwards. And what we've done is we've made the unbelievers become the missionaries. Think about what a missionary does. They go to a culture that they don't know, that they're unfamiliar with. They have to learn a language that they don't know. They have to come in and learn about everything so that they can just communicate and be a part of this culture. What we've done is make the unbeliever become the missionary. You come to us. We're going to set up our circus. You come to us. You learn our language, because we use a bunch of words that people who didn't grow up in church have no idea what it means. <laughs> yeah, all, all sorts of stuff. So you have to come to us. We're going to set up our tent. We're going to set up our church. You come into our culture that you don't understand. You learn our language that you don't know. You come and learn our customs and our, all the stuff that we already know. And you have to come and be uncomfortable. You have to come and, and make yourself fit in with us and learn all of these things when that's ex the exact opposite of what Jesus called us to do. He didn't say set up shop and put up a big sign outside and hope people walk in. He said go and make disciples. And we've missed it. We're too busy playing circus. 
We're too busy setting up shop and hoping somebody comes in the door when God has said it is time for you to go. It's time to stop standing here and staring up into heaven and hope that something happens. We need people to come along and say, why are you standing here? Why are you just standing here staring up into heaven? Don't you know that there's work to be done? Don't you know there's places that need to hear the gospel? Don't you know that you are supposed to go? And it's not just your pastor. It's not just your leadership team. It's not, it's not just the elders of the church that are called to go. That's not their job. Now I'm going to say something, and, and Pastor Josh after this may never want me to speak again. You should stop inviting your friends to church. If, this is a big if, if you haven't invited them into your house. See, Pastor Josh can preach a great message, or whoever is here can, can preach an amazing message that tells about the love of God and the glory of God and the forgiveness of sins and all of that stuff, and that's great. But if you haven't invited that person into your house to share a meal with them and say, this is what God has done in my life. This is what God has done for me. This is how I've changed. This is, this is what you knew me before, man. <laughs> You knew I had a mouth on me before. You knew that I struggled with alcohol. You knew all of this stuff, and now I'm changed because of the grace of God. It means so much more coming from you. It's not your leadership's job to save your friends. It's your job. It's your mission. It's what you're called to do. You know what Pastor Josh's job is? The Bible says, Paul says that God has given us apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers not to do the work of the church, but to train up and teach the saints. That's you. If you are a Christian, you are a saint, according to the Bible, to train you to do the work of the church. That means it's not his job to go and pray for your friend or your family member when they're sick at the hospital. It's your job. It's not his job to go to your workplace and share the gospel with the people that you work with every day. It's your job. His job is, is to teach you and to train you and to empower you to do those things. We have to become the missionary. We have to fulfill the mission of God. Because if you, all of you, are released and empowered to do the mission of God in your Jerusalem, in the places that you walk every day, in the jobs that you work in every day, in the neighborhoods, in the families, if you're released and empowered to fulfill the mission of God in your Jerusalem, then it's going to be so much more effective than Pastor Josh and his six staff members, or however many are here, trying to do it for the entire area. It's going to be so much more effective. That's the plan of God. That's how God, that's how the early church worked. It wasn't just Peter and, and John and, and Paul. It was the entire church. You want to hear something crazy? When the saints all got together, there weren't unbelievers there. 
You look in the book of Acts, and it says that they gathered together in the temple every day and that everybody else was afraid to go and be a part of what they were doing because the presence of God was so strong. And so they weren't inviting, like, like the lesser disciples that we don't know that much about, like Simon, you know, and all these other ones, James the Lesser. I mean, his name is James the Lesser. Like all these other ones that we don't know as much about, we're like, hey, man, hey, hey, buddy, come here. You need to come with me. You need to go meet Peter because Peter's really good at preaching the gospel and Peter's going to pray for you and you're going to get saved. You need to talk to Peter. They were preaching the gospel. They were living it out. So that when that person came and was a part of the assembling together of the saints, they already knew the gospel. They already knew what to expect because they had already been discipled. They had already been poured into by somebody else. So how do we do that? Man, we get, we get so scared. Like God says, go and make disciples, like, I don't, I don't know how to go, like, does that mean I have to move to, like, Peru, or, or somewhere crazy, and, and I, I have to go, and I don't know how to make disciples. Again, having a Greek professor in the family, I was talking to my dad about this one day, and he said, Matt, that, that phrase, we read it wrong. It's not go with the directive of making disciples, it's as you go. As you live your life, as you go to work, as you go to school, as you go to the grocery store to buy your groceries for the week, as you go to all the places that you're already going, be looking for the people that I'm going to place in your path that you can share the gospel with, that you can share the love of Christ with. Because it's as you go, if you, if you will live your life with this thought process, with your eyes open everywhere you go, God will drop people into your path, be it at Walmart, at the gas station, at home, wherever it is. God will cause you to cross paths with people that need to be discipled. That's what we're called to do. We're called Christians. Literally, little Christs. So you want to know how to do something as a Christian, you got to look at how Jesus did it. So I want to share one more verse with you. John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, 14. If you have your Bibles, look at it. It'll be up here, I'm sure. There it is. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. This is how you go and make disciples. The Message Bible, I love how it says, it says, so the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Problem is, most of us don't even know our neighbors. Jesus moved into the neighborhood. He put on flesh. He became like us so that he could reach us. And we, we, we say, yes, we're Christians. We want to live like Christ. But man, we can't even walk across our yard to talk to our neighbor. 
Man, we had a, a pastor's conference, a leadership conference that my wife and I went to. And uh, this guy was speaking. He said, I'm going to show you guys something I call the grit of death. <laughs> and he said, it's simply this. Most neighborhoods are set up that you have your house. You have, you know, three houses behind you, two beside you, and three across the street. So draw that out. Mark your house. And I want you to write down the names of your neighbors of each of those houses. Not you know, the one with the yappy, annoying dog or, or this kid's parents or, or whatever it is, write down their names. Stop and do a mental exercise real quick. How many of you know the names of your neighbors? Most people, he said, we found could maybe name one or two out of eight how are we going to show the love of God to our neighbors? How are we going to love our neighbor as ourselves if we don't even know them? I know that's taking that phrase literal and, and that there's so much more to it than that, but we got to start somewhere, right? we got to start somewhere. Jesus put on flesh and moved into our neighborhood. Why? To show love and in faithfulness. To share with us the good news, the gospel. That's literally what the gospel means, good news. To share with us good news, and we think, oh, you know, I, I, I can't, I don't know the Bible. I can't, like, quote scripture. I can't just go and say, yes, you know, John chapter 7, verse 12 says this, and quote scripture at people. That's not what it means. Let me ask you something. What does good news look like in your neighborhood? What would good news look like at your place of work? What would good news look like at your school? I heard a story of, a, of an elderly widow. Her husband had died. She lived in an apartment complex. And she was at a conference and they were telling this. They were asking that question, what does good news look like in your neighborhood? And this lady was struggling with, you know, where does this leave me? Like, this is all great and I understand that, that we need to do this sort of stuff, but I don't know what I can do. And she said, when they asked that question, I began to think, what does good news look like in my apartment complex? She said, you know, there's a bunch of kids that go to school. And, and they all go down early in the morning, and they're in the lobby, and they're waiting for the bus to come. And I have no idea if, if those kids have eaten breakfast, so I'm just going to start baking muffins for them. Good news in my neighborhood looks like muffins. Seems simple. <laughs> and so every morning she would get up, and she would make muffins, and she'd bring them down there to the lobby, and she'd hand these kids, hey, are you hungry? Here you go, have a muffin. Here you go, have a muffin. Every morning she would go down and do this, and it ended up being where most of these kids, they would come home after school and their parents would be at work and there wouldn't be anybody at home. And so she was like, okay, well, I'll start making muffins in the afternoon too, I guess. And so they would come to her apartment and, and she would just give them just a simple snack and just feed them and, and never, never saying anything, just sharing with them love. She moved into the neighborhood. She began to show love, and she did it so faithfully every day that eventually these kids were like, yo, why are you making us muffins? 
Like, what, what made you want to make us muffins? <laughs> and she was able to share with them the real good news. I make you muffins because I love you. And because Christ loves you. She said that in that apartment complex that they used to have problems all the time with vandalism, with, with these kids roughhousing and breaking things and vandalizing things and, and having all of these issues. And when she started doing that, and she started just sharing with them the good news of muffins, that all that stuff started to stop. So much so that, that like, the, the, um, like the board that governed that that apartment complex was like noticing, like, we're not having to spend money on fixing broken windows and, and getting kids out of trash chutes and, you know, all of this crazy stuff like we used to. We don't understand why. And somebody was there was like, I know why. This old lady up in 13B, she started making muffins for these kids. At 70, 80 years old, this, this widow became a pastor, a shepherd, that cared for the sheep of that apartment complex. All because she was willing to ask God, what does good news look like in my Jerusalem? What does good news look like in my neighborhood, in my life, in my workplace? What does good news look like in your neighborhood? Find it. Show that unfailing love. Be faithful in it every single day. Because you know what? It's not about going out and, and having to preach and talk. Man, the famous quote, and off the top of my head, I can't remember who said it, was, was always preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Always preach the gospel. Always show the love of Christ. No matter where you're at, no matter where you go, show the love of Christ and do it faithfully. And let me tell you something. If you do those two things, eventually the door will open where people will be like, man, why are you so weird? <laughs> like, why, why are you so different from everybody else that we know? Why do you do this? Why do you take time out of your schedule to show love to people that you don't even really know? That's the gospel. Jesus came, the word put on flesh, and he moved into the neighborhood to show us unfailing love that we didn't deserve. He did it faithfully. Why? So that we could see the glory of God. Our mission is to show love. To eventually get our neighbors and our friends, all of the people in our Jerusalem and our Judea and even into Samaria, like, I don't know, what's Samaria here? Lamar? Neosho? <laughs> all over the world. So that eventually they will be able to come and experience the glory of God in their lives. To experience what real love is to experience and see the glory of God. Our mission is not, it's not just to gather people. It's to send people. Our mission is not to just come together and feel good. Our mission is to go. We need to go. 
as churches, we need to get out of this mindset that we all have to come together. We need to be thinking, how can I go? As pastors, we need to be thinking, how can I send my people? Instead of trying to get as many as possible, how can I send as many as possible? That's the goal. That's how the mission of God is going to be accomplished, is by churches who quit saying, we want to get as many people as we can here on a Sunday morning, and start saying, we want to send as many people as we can on Monday morning. We want to send as many people as we can on Tuesday morning. We want our church people to live the gospel, to live the good news every day of their lives. We've got to change our mindset. We've got to get rid of our stinking thinking. We've got to change. Because God has a mission. God has a purpose. And God's purpose is this, that none should perish. That none should perish. How many in your neighborhood would perish tonight? And I'm not talking about just dying. I'm talking eternal death. Eternal separation from God. How many in your neighborhood, if they died tonight, would truly perish? What does the good news look like to them? What can you do to share the gospel and the glory of God and the love of God with them in their lives? Move into your neighborhood. Whatever that looks like. Wherever that is. For years, as a youth pastor, I told our kids, reach your Jerusalem. Move into the neighborhood. Be full of love and faithfulness so that you can show these people God's glory in their lives. Fulfill the mission of God. Quit standing and staring off into heaven hoping that something amazing happens. Go out and be something amazing wherever you live. Let's pray. God, you have called us. You have set us apart. God, you have empowered us. And you have given us a mission. God, help us to be your ecclesia. Help us to be the people that you want us to be. God, help us to see your mission. Help us to accept the mission that you have placed on our lives. God, that as we leave here tonight and we all go back to our houses and we prepare for Monday morning and, and all of that that entails the, for work, for school, for our kids, for all the things that we have to go back to, God, I pray that right now you would begin to drop into the hearts and spirits of everyone here what good news looks like for wherever they are going tomorrow morning. 
God, begin to drop into their spirit the things that you want them to do, the things that you want them to say. God, the, the way that you want them to live so that they can fulfill your mission in their Jerusalem starting tomorrow, God. God, as, as Christ Point Church, as Pastor Josh prayed this evening, the, those six points of prayer, God, help us to fulfill your mission where you have placed us, right here in Galena, Kansas. God, that we would be good news to an area that is hurting. God, that we would be good news to families that are broken. That we would be good news, God, to the drug addicts. God, to people who are hurting and need some good news, help us to be that good news for them, God. God, help us to live out your mission every day. Every day, God. In your name we pray. Amen.